The Holy Gospel according to Mark, the sixth chapter. Glory to you, Lord. King Herod heard the disciples preaching, for Jesus' name had become known. Some were saying, John the baptizer has been raised from the dead, and for this reason these powers are at work in him. But others said, it is Elijah. And others said, it is a prophet like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For Herod himself had sent men who arrested John, bound him and put him in prison on account of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because Herod had married her. For John had been telling Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to kill him, but she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he protected him. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he liked to listen to him. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his courtiers and officers and the leaders of Galilee. When his daughter, Herodias, came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests, and the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it. And he solemnly swore to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give you even half my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, What should I ask for? She replied, The head of John the baptizer. Immediately she rushed back to the king and requested, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was deeply grieved, yet out of regard for his oath and for the guests, he did not want to refuse her. Immediately the king sent a soldier of the guard with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison, brought his head on a platter, and gave it to the girl. Then the girl gave it to their mother. When his disciples heard about it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. My dear brothers and sisters, I bring you grace and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So as Rachel mentioned, the psalm we heard today is filled with a lot of really powerful and beautiful words. The gospel, which Rick read for us earlier, is a little more, what, complicated, strange? Um, and I, I do want to spend some time talking about that gospel passage uh, from Mark. Gospel is a word, of course, that means good news. And not just any good news, but good news about Jesus. And the gospel from Mark today is strange because one, it's really not about Jesus at all, and two, it's hard to figure out how there's any good news in a beheading. So I want to talk about it, and to get there, I do want to try to explain how as Christians we can derive some good news from it, but to get there we need to sort of set it up a little bit with some historical context, which can be helpful in moments like this. It's the story uh, primarily of a gentleman named Herod Antipas, uh, who is the person who's responsible for killing John. And I'm not going to get into super deep weeds about the Herodian dynasty or the family of Herod, but I'll say a few things just to explain how complicated their family was. Herod Antipas is the son of Herod 
the Great. Herod the Great is the Herod we hear about when Jesus is born. Herod Antipas is the Herod we hear about at Jesus' death. And as I say, their family was complicated. And just as a few examples of that, two of Herod Antipas' brothers were executed. One of Herod Antipas's brothers tried to kill their father, and Herod Antipas himself was married and then divorced his wife so that he could marry another brother of his wife. And it's unclear to us whether that brother had died by then or if he was even divorced from the woman that Herod married. Herod Antipas. To complicate it even more, the wife he married, the second wife Herod Antipas married, is named Herodias, as if we don't already have enough Herods, and it seems that she was also Herod Antipas's niece. As I say, it was complicated. John the Baptist, very famously, was opposed for very good and legitimate reasons based on the Mosaic law of the time on that marriage. And he very publicly talked about that, which you can imagine did not endear him to Herodias. Herodias, this new wife of Herod Antipas. In fact, she hated him, and even in the gospel that Rick read for us today, it makes it clear she wanted him, John the Baptist, to be killed. It turns out, though, that Herod Antipas actually kind of liked John the Baptist. He was kind of fascinated by John's teaching. He didn't always understand it, but he liked to listen to him. And so, as a way to sort of please his wife, um, what he did is he put John the Baptist in prison so that he could say to Herodias, well, I took care of that. Nothing more needs to be done. And again, Herod Antipas did not want to injure John, and in fact, the fact that he was in prison allowed Herod to listen to John's teaching, okay? Which brings us to the gospel, the good news for today that we heard Rick read a little earlier. Herod, again, the sort of nominal or puppet Jewish king ruling on behalf of Rome, uh, was throwing himself a big birthday party to impress his followers and his courtiers, okay? And did I mention the family was weird and complicated? So he ends up inviting Herodias's daughter, his stepdaughter, whose name we believe was Salome, a young woman, to come and dance at this big birthday party he's throwing for all of these friends and officials that he wants to impress. Salome does impress them. They're all wowed by it. And in a sort of poorly thought out moment of bravado, Um, Herod, Antipas, says after her dance, that was wonderful. It was so good, Salome, that I will give you anything you want, up to half of my kingdom. You can imagine, as soon as those words are out of his mouth, he realizes, that might not have been a good idea. (laughs) So Salome, being the dutiful daughter that she is to Herodias, goes to her mother, says, here's what Herod has promised me, What should I ask for? Did I mention Herodias hated John the Baptist? So Herodias says to Salome, ask for the head of John the Baptist. And now Herod is sort of backed into a corner. He has very publicly made this commitment to Salome. There is no way he can go back on his word without completely losing face. 
And so he is forced, against his will really, to execute John the Baptist, which he does, and brings the head of John the Baptist to Salome so that she can give it to her mother, Herodias. The Gospel of the Lord, right? <clears throat> so, the question we could reasonably ask, and I'm going to ask, about this passage, and it's a question we could ask about any passage, is what in the heck is this doing in the Gospel of Mark? And it's a particularly appropriate question to ask about the Gospel of Mark, which we're reading all year, by the way, because you may remember that the Gospel of Mark is far and away the shortest of the Gospels. It's a very brisk uh, narrative about Jesus, and so brisk, in fact, that it does not have a birth account of Jesus, and it really doesn't have much in the way of a resurrection stories either. And so you say, Mark, Mr. Gospel writer, why are you wasting valuable space in this gospel telling us this two-paragraph long story about the beheading of John? And how is it good news? And I want to suggest three reasons that he might have included it in the gospel, okay? The first reason is I mentioned that Mark does not begin his gospel with the uh, birth account of Jesus. He begins it actually with the story of none other than John the Baptist, right? That's how the Gospel of Mark begins. And very quickly, by the 14th verse of the first chapter, we are told after John the Baptist was imprisoned, comma, and then Mark continues on. So it may be that Mark is saying, oh yeah, I mentioned that John the Baptist was imprisoned. Maybe I should get back to him and explain to the readers what happened next? So, you know, after he sends out his disciples, Jesus sends out his disciples and Mark writes about it. Mark says, I'm going to drop in this story about John the Baptist and his beheading just to tie up that loose end. Okay, that's one possibility. Second possibility, again, this is thinking of Mark as an author kind of, is that he's not looking at the past. He's not saying, oh, I mentioned John, I got to pick the story up again, but rather he's foreshadowing the future. And he's saying, okay, this is how John died, and pay attention because someone else who's really important in this story is going to die in a somewhat similar way. And in fact, there are some parallels between Jesus' death and John the Baptist's death. Most significantly, in both cases, there's a person in authority, Herod with John the Baptist and Pilate with Jesus, who both uh, are really not interested in executing this individual. Herod, as I already mentioned, doesn't want to kill John the Baptist. Pilate, similarly, doesn't really want to kill Jesus. He doesn't think he's done anything that merits death, and he responds to the pressure of the crowds in killing him in order to, to protect the peace, ultimately. So there are parallels. So again, it could be that Mark is saying, I want to foreshadow that death. And by the way, the third point I'm going to make doesn't take away from either of those. I think those are both probably legitimate reasons Mark includes it. But the reason I want to sort of leave you with is what I will call a more pastoral reason that Mark includes this story of the death of John the Baptist. Tim, you say, what could you possibly mean? How could it possibly be pastoral, the story of a beheading of someone like John the Baptist? Well, stay with me. From, this, from the start of the gospel up to John the Baptist's execution, everything, by worldly standards at least, is going swimmingly for Jesus. Jesus is baptized, 
God speaks to him. This is my son, my beloved, in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus gathers around him all of these disciples. Uh, He gathers crowds. He's preaching. He's teaching. He's doing miracles. He's feeding multitudes. He's stilling storms. Everything is going great. He is like a superhero. He's amazing, which he was. And at this point, John, or Mark rather, says, now, as this story is going on, pause just for a minute. And remember that it's not all going to be a bowl of cherries. Because look what happened to John the Baptist. Just because you're Christian, Mark is saying, it doesn't mean that you're never going to have problems. And you may say to yourself, Tim, duh. Who here has not had a problem in your life, right? We've all had problems, right? Do we need the gospel writer Mark to say, hey, folks, you might have problems? We don't. However, and this is the really important point, as Christians, we believe that Jesus, through his life and death and resurrection, did what? defeated sin, death, and the devil. We believe that Jesus set everything right with God. And yet, bad things happen to us, right? So in the back of every Christian's head, in the back of all of our thinking, I am convinced that when bad things happen, one of the responses as Christians we have, given that supposedly Jesus said everything right, is, oh my gosh, I must have done something wrong. I must have screwed it up somehow. I must have disappointed God, and that's why bad things happened, or that's why bad things are happening to me. And in a way, what Mark is saying is, that's not the way it works, folks. If you think you're perfect, look at John. He was probably more faithful, more honest. He was closer to Jesus than any other follower of Jesus ever. And yet bad things happened to him. And so I, Mark, am reminding all of my readers and all future Christians That's not what Christianity is about. It's not about if you're right, if you do things well, if you're faithful enough, if you're honest enough, if you're truthful enough, enough, bad things won't happen. That's not the Christian promise. That is not the gospel. The gospel is even when bad things happen, and they will, God will not forsake you. God will be with you, God will stick with you, and God will still love you. And friends, that does strike me as very good news indeed. To which we all say, Amen.